It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Johara Tundok and Cavan. Discover the all-new Renault Arcana at Blackstone Motors that comes with a five-year warranty. Call us now to arrange a test drive or visit BlackstoneMotors.ie for more details. Welcome to Late Lunch this Thursday afternoon. I'm just laughing listening to that ad there for Nathan Carter and Wagon Wheel. He doesn't have to do the lotto. Wagon Wheel is his lotto ticket. It's a great song, isn't it? Always will be. Welcome to the show. We have lots of chat over the next couple of hours. If you want to join in, don't forget the usual numbers. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call in. And I start with a man, well, I say it again, he's Ireland's most famous farmer. He's a journalist, he's a broadcaster, and he's recovering from an electric shock, Dara McCullough. I could do with a couple of wagon wheels and stuff. Well, Dara, listen, I'm not talking, you didn't put your fingers into the three pin socket or touch a couple of wires or anything like that. Explain to the listeners what I'm on about, will you? You got an electricity bill and you nearly fell through the floor. I did. Um, We use a lot of power here during the summertime. We're drying daffodils, we're drying onions. And uh, so normally our uh, our electricity bill could be two grand a month plus fat, so two and a half, maybe even touching three grand. So you're kind of prepared for the worst. But I got an electricity bill in August that knocked me off my feet. It was €9,000, Jerry, and I fell out of my seat. I actually... When I first saw it, I said, ah, that's a mistake. Don't be worrying your head about it. Just ring them up and get it sorted. But <laughs> uh, there was that sinking feeling the further mm. I looked into it that, no, this is for real. And, of course, it was, I suppose it's a thing that a lot of households, a lot of businesses all over the country have faced over the last uh, couple of months. There was a major spike in electricity costs during the summertime. Mm. And it caught a lot of people on the hop, including yours truly. 9,000 from an average of 2,000 previous to this. Holy God, you'd go weak at the knees for sure. So Mm. the spike in electricity prices, you were saying there, you use a lot more power yourself, drying the bulbs and onions, etc. But still, it's an enormous jump. What happened? Were you on a rate, stuck on a rate, or what happened? Or were you on a variable rate? Yeah, so it was a perfect storm. The first thing that uh, I got caught out on was the fact that uh, I was on a rate up until April and the electricity supplier, I thought I had a very, what seemed to me a very reasonable conversation with them at the time, which was, um, yeah, listen, um, you're out of contract now, but we'll 
uh, keep you on the wholesale market, spot market price. The prices are probably eased back during the summertime and nobody's offering you a better rate at the moment. So why don't you sit tight? And if you ever want to move, you can switch anytime you like. Yeah. And I was thinking, okay, that sounds like a fair enough offer and uh, promptly forgot all about my electricity. And uh, so cruising along during the summer, nice and busy with all the usual activity that goes on the farm, not thinking about my electricity bills. And unbeknownst to me, of course, the electricity on the wholesale market was spiking to north of 30 cent a unit. Now, to put that in perspective, uh, 12 or 18 months ago, I was paying 14 cent a unit for daytime rates. Um, and so it, it, it had literally doubled, more than doubled mm. in price for a period there in August. It, we were caught in a perfect storm because it's also the months when we are busiest, when we have every fan in the place on, working 24-7, so we were drinking power. And I suppose overall activity on the farm around the place has kind of increased in general anyway. So it all came kind of to a head, and I think it was a little bit of adjustment. You know the way you get those estimated readings yes. for a couple of months, and sometimes it can go in your favour um, and just store up the bad news for a particular day. So there was a little bit of that adjustment going on as well, and that's why we ended up with such a sickener of a bill. Now, I take it, obviously, you have taken action since you've gone out into the market, you've been shopping around. I'll tell you this, I know this myself because I worked, you see, in Aircom for years, and I know the way it works, and you've said this. It's very difficult to compare the packages because the bundled, and I think the bundled to make it difficult yeah. for people. Yeah. Um, so when you're com- trying to compare rates, you know, one fellow will be offering you a, gr- a lower stand and charge rate, and another fellow will be offering you a lower meter rate, and another fellow will be offering you a different rate per unit of electricity. And it's a bit like the mobile phone deals, which used to completely mm. melt my head until I handed it over to somebody else and melt theirs <laughs> instead. Um, you know, one one crowd is charging you per minute, the other crowd is charging yes. you for text, the other crowd has got yeah. a flat monthly fee, and you don't know what mm. you're paying for. Yes. And, uh, like, you just don't know whether to stick or twist. And, of course, they're tying you knots because they know it inside out, right? Mm. Um, and so what I, I actually did, Jerry, and I think that more and more people are probably going this way if they can. Certainly small businesses is handed over to a broker. Um, and they they seem to, you know, they're able to take their cut. But from what I can see, they'll still get you yeah. a, as good a rate as is going out there. And more importantly, they're fluent in all of this. They know all the, the angles. They know the questions and they know the special passwords <laughs> yeah. that seem to unlock these special offers or special deals. So that's the way I've gone. Yes, and look, at uh, it's good advice too to people. You need to go shopping and if you need an expert, there are brokers there that do this. Now, come on to the other part of this because this is very interesting. You have solar panels, mm. uh, you know, and, you know, you've made a very good case. You you, you 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 know these uh, solar panel farms you see where the land or the ground is covered in the panels. I think mm. that's a total waste. You've come up with a, a novel suggestion. Yeah, I, I was blown away when somebody hit me with the statistics on this. I mean, bear in mind now, before we say any more about solar panels, we are talking about this in the context of a country that is re-firing up the likes of Money Point power stations, lorry and coal into them, blowing our emissions out of the water. Mm. And meanwhile, we have all this solar technology that's out there, that's proven to be cost-effective. And, well, okay, maybe that's another uh, conversation. But the, 
the uh, farms like me, uh, there's, there's about 100,000 farms in the country and every farm pretty much worth its salt has a shed or two in it. Um, and uh, if you, if you uh, covered half of the, if you got every second farm in the country to put up 30 kilowatts of solar panels. Now I put up 56 in a shed down here. It covered about, uh, I think about 500 square foot. So it, it's not a big area we're talking about. You know, you don't need a colossal shed to do this. So you've got every second farmer in the country to put up 30 kilowatts of uh, solar. You would, it would be the equivalent of the air, uh, uh, seven and a half thousand acres of a solar farm. And my question for the powers that be and the policymakers out there is, why haven't you done something to incentivize the hell out of this? Because, number one, uh, it's renewable energy that the country desperately needs. Mm. Number two, we're, uh, you know, all of, uh, from, as a farmer, we're being bashed around the head about our emissions and all the rest of it, and we should be doing everything we can to reduce them, which is right. But, like, you know, in the in meantime, we're looking at data centres being set up left, right and centre that are going to use up 30% of our country's power. Yes. And as a result, we have to fire up coal stations. And then number three, we save all this great land for producing food if we utilise the roof space, the redundant roof space that is just lying idle out there only waiting for an opportunity like this. It's a no-brainer in my book and I say hear, hear to your call and support you all the way. The other thing is this, Dara, and uh, you've been writing about it, of course, as well. Um, When you produce electricity from these panels, uh, there's restrictions on, you know, if you have excess, you can't store electricity, but you can feed it into the national grid but there's impediments to this as well yeah i mean it might shock some of your listeners to hear that um any of the power that i don't use directly on my own farm for my electricity panels for my solar panels excuse me is spilt onto the grid that's the 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 common terminology for giving away my power free into the national grid and that is just sucked up into a great big black hole by the ESB and I get diddly squat first. Now, I'm not complaining in the sense that, you know, my solar panels, I'm lucky I use enough power from them and they're paying their way and I think they're a, a great investment and I'd be recommending anyone who's thinking about them to go for it because I, I think that it's a complete no-brainer. But if you um, are looking at ways to incentivize uh, people to put up more panels on their sheds or roof faces or whatever it is, why wouldn't you pay them the, the wholesale market rate, say 10 cents a unit or whatever it is, 8, 10, 12 cents a unit, um, whatever has been paid out to the wind turbines and anyone else um, for the bit of power that they, the surface power that they don't need. I mean, there's a whole raft of, of reasons why sheds aren't being covered in panels. Obviously, there's a big investment and not everyone is using a lot of power. If you take most of the farms out there in Ireland are dairy, beef or tillage farms. They don't drink a lot of power. I'm a horticultural producer, Mm. so it's quite intensive. 
But for those farms, they're not going to be able to utilise, if they put up 56 kilowatts, the same as me, they'd only use maybe 20 or 30%. So I'm thinking, okay, well, that's fine. Let them export, you know, 70, 80% of their power into the grid and get paid a wholesale rate for it. But no, the um, the suggestion from the government is that the maximum they let you export from your solar panels is 30%. Now, why? who came up with that number and why? Yes, exactly. Eamon Ryan, what the hell is that in there? You're lobbying left, right and centre for the green agenda. Should this yeah. is nonsense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, talk about own goals and low-hanging fruit and all the trite cliches that are trotted out the whole time. This is a complete and utter no-brainer. Uh, we've got a problem. There's a fix out there. And all it takes is somebody to join the dots. Now, keep this going. Don't drop the baton on this, Dar. I know you won't. This is a real live issue and all the points you made are really valid and I'm with you on the way, all the way on it and I wanted to highlight it today. Now, leaving the electricity aside for a moment, mm-hmm. just a quick fire round before we go. Mm. Ear to the ground, when are you back? Two weeks' time. Ah. Tonight, seven o'clock. Great. Rock, series 29. <laughs> Lovely. No ploughing again this year. Great hope that we'll be back next year with the ploughing full blast, please, God. Yeah, so, I mean, look, at we're still... Nothing feels completely normal yet. You know, I was in a, a hotel uh, yesterday from uh, meeting up with a group of farmers who were visiting. And of course, you know, you have to walk in with your mask on and then yep. you can't go up to the bar to order a pint without your mask on. And, you know, so it, it's all a bit strange still. Big events, they're basically, and the news isn't good coming from Neff at this lunchtime. Mm. So it looks like everything's going to be put on pause for another couple of months yet. And I think we're just going to have to sit tight and hope for better next year. Please, God. Great summer weather, you have to say. Grain harvested, wonderful straw. Hey, anyone produced mm. it? Yes, all good there. A farmer said to me um, earlier this week, he said, and he's, he'd be in his 60s, and he said, I think, Dara, this was the best farming year I've ever had. And the reason is all of what you said already, it's, a, it's the, the classic trio, the magic trio, good weather, good yields and good prices mm. he, he, you know he said I've never seen it before and I'll probably never see it again it's so rare it happens you have to savour it and isn't it rare to hear a happy farmer on the airwaves ah, sure I'm always happy <laughs> you, you are you are Darren McCullough of course you are you are indeed Joe. we love you here on LMFM radio and just the last word what about the spuds you know lack of rain in the summer for them is, yeah. is, is, it, is it leaving it tight on supply? No, uh, spud harvest, spud yields, I haven't heard anyone giving out okay, about it. good as well. Yet. And normally I do hear, you know, there's a fella on the other end of a phone fairly lively when there's a problem <laughs> in farming <laughs> in my world. Yes. So um, I think no news is good news on that front, Jerry. Ah, there you have it. So it's good to hear that and uh, well deserved for people who work very hard and are at the heart of food production in this lovely little country of ours. Anyway, We've put the spark. You've lit the spark. Oh, you know what I'm saying to you. Uh, it's on the way now. The board is lighting up there. <laughs> sure thing. Anyway, thank you so much for taking our call. We'll talk again soon. You're welcome, Jerry. Anytime. Take care, Dara. Bye-bye. That's Dara McCullough there.
from Elm Grove Farm and uh, of course he's based in County Mead near Gormanston there and he does the lovely flowers there at the gates as well of the farm check him out but he's a great guy and he has made so many valid points there we're all affected by these energy price increases and it applies to all of us whether you're on the farm or whatever you're doing to shop round and look for the best deal possible take that stick it in your pipe and smoke it Hi Jerry. there's currently a scheme called FarmGen with Glanbia and SSE Electricity and Active 8 Energies that provide a type of grant to farmers for solar on their sheds. It's a really beneficial and interesting scheme. Thank you indeed for letting us know about that, whoever you are this afternoon. Now Louise, in jest, in, I think it's in jest she said to me this morning, Paul Moyne, you know, has been with yeah. us for... <laughs> forever since the pandemic and, and, and we said goodbye to him a couple of weeks ago and Louise said to me I wonder we were thinking about this before and he went and look what happened do you think we're on track for Paul returning again um yeah <laughs> the news isn't good is it not You're great t- I wouldn't say now we're heading for another lockdown or anything but no no, but yeah, there's, there's real spikes concern, and there's isn't there, with the numbers mm, and hospitalizations and they're not going to ease the restrictions, or they're thinking about you know not they're going thinking to thinking about um, you know what I mean. Um, how to keep the COVID certs? Yeah, yeah, they're going to get rid of them next week. Mm. Um, but it's likely that they will keep the COVID certs now for indoor hospitality. So you'll still have to show. Yourself. Yes, I, oh, I've been asked for it in have a couple you? of places. Oh, I have. I have it on the phone. Have you yours? Uh, I accidentally deleted mine. And um, yeah, went out for dinner for the first time. I I don't go out for dinner, and um, yeah, I was kind of stuck. So I just kind of googled and found, and I they resent it to me. Ah, so I have it so now, have and it now. I have it laminated. Good, 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 good. <laughs> what are you a like? Embarrassing. What are you like? As they say, what are you like? Anyway, it's easily done. Is it? Yeah, like you, you know, you could delete it on from your phone, mm. unless you downloaded it. Probably you did. Uh, yeah, but actually, it was sent out to me. You know that COVID tracker app. The little yellow one yeah. that came out at the start. They sent my cert to me automatically. Uh, I have a hard copy as well, but I have it. It's very handy having it on the phone. Uh, we we need to produce it. <laughs> I deleted the app because it's taking up too much space on my phone. Do you remember that time they were all giving out about it? <laughs> I know, I know. And I delete myself some morning. <laughs> and you know, we, we talked about it here that people having difficulty getting the certs and that, but I think that's all been, been attended to now at this stage that people have their certs and it's nice to have them and, and carry with you. But the message is clear still, you know, the pandemic is still about washing the hands keeping the distance wearing the masks it still is part and parcel of life now you do know it's Irish Music Month on LMFM Radio and we're supporting Irish music all the way we always do anyway but especially this month and we've shortlisted five you remember we revealed them here in late lunch on Monday afternoon the final five we got inundated with people looking to uh, enter this if you call it a competition uh, of sorts anyway Today on Late Lunch, I want to feature one of the final five. Amy Chute, she's a 20-year-old singer-songwriter from Dundalk. She's a great passion for music. And uh, this is her own work, all her own work. It's called Chasing Trouble from Amy Chute. I'm chasing trouble I've still to cross the line I'll be in danger But danger's what I like I think I'm digging Digging my own grave 
got no time to waste Cause you are the one who left me in the dark And you are the one who just tears me apart But baby, put the blame on me All my friends say That I'm not thinking right Because you like to My next guest is a prolific writer. I think of books like The Lie of the Land, The Long Acre and more besides. And he's really always on the money when he brings out a new one. And he's done it again because this book is fascinating. If you're a sports fan or a GAA fan in particular, you'll love it. It's called Stories from the GAA Grassroots. And I'm delighted to say hello again to PJ Cunningham. Hello, PJ. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thank you for having me. Not at all. Anyways, you as I said, you're on the money with this one for sure because in this area, loud mead, of course, the mead and loud aspects of it were very, very, and I'm very familiar with. I have to say, let's talk about the loud ones uh, for a moment first, and the wonderful Frank Lynch, a good friend of mine. My God, he has some story, hasn't he, PJ? Oh, well, what you know, most people will tell you they hated the lockdown, uh, Jerry, and with good reason. I'm the opposite because over the course of the lockdown, I started to get uh, into this book around yeah. last March, 12 months, right? Right. And then there was a window where you could go and meet people. And the first person I met was the venerable Frank Lynch. <laughs> and what a treat. I spent half a day with the man and I was up in Dundalk. We went around to various places were in his hotel he was speaking he was back in the 50s he was in the 60s he was up 2020s he was looking forward to the stadium the spanking new stadium you're building in loud for for the next 100 years he was he was over the history of the ga he was into the future he is such he he won't mind me saying that he's a man in his early 80s now he was 19 years old when he won his all ireland medal back in the 50s with with loud when uh, the, when Loud were the preeminent side in 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 the country, and Frank would lament even now, uh, Jerry, that only for a few things that happened shortly after the one the All Ireland against Cork. You know who he was marking by the way that day? Porrick Harrington's father. Yes. Imagine, imagine that. But anyway, uh, Frank would say that if the manager or the coach, as he was called then, was left in place, they could have got, gone on to win maybe two or possibly three All Irelands, and instead. They just were the nearly men for the next two or three years as Dublin and then Offaly and then obviously down came into the fore. And um, Frank would, have, would, would say to this day that the greatest uh, sadness from his point of view was not obviously winning in All-Ireland, but the fact that he didn't add another one or two to, to mm. the Celtic Cross that he won in 57, I think it was, yeah. Oh, yeah, he is the quintessential GA man, and he's just such an enthusiast about, you know, the county and his love for the game. is infectious, as you saw yourself when you met him, and I've experienced that on a number of occasions as well. He is a truly great man, and well done for including him in this wonderful book. Jerry, can I just tell you, he's a terrible tipper when it comes to his own horses. <laughs> he's, after costing, he's after costing me a small fortune the last year. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't going to go there because I know this too and we've had a crack about this in the past no the GGs we leave aside and we won't even go there keep that one keep that one for for another day but also just staying with the Wee County before we go into Mead um, and I'm familiar with the family the Leach family the Leach brothers from Drawden now they have a unique distinction 
imagine four players lining out in a county final on the one day. Now, it's happened. You'll, you'll, people like the Connors and Offley and the Connollys and Galway, you'll hear that. But imagine four brothers lining out, uh, two playing for one team and two playing for the other team. It's happened in uh, 65 Loud County, County Final. When I think it was, um, let me remember, it was O'Reilly's playing the Newtown Blues. It was. Right? It and was. Jo- Joey and Mickey were with one team uh, and Paddy and Liam were with the Blues. So the two lads were with O'Reilly's who actually won. But then Mick told the story, he went back in to play with the O'Reilly's. Look, the amount of medals the Leach brothers have won Mm. It would sink the Titanic in itself, <laughs> really, when you think of it. And, you know, it's very interesting listening to them because they were great soccer players as well. And, of course, the band, Jerry, was, yeah. was, was, was out at the time, was massive. And uh, I have to go back to Frank now, and then I come to him. Yeah. Frank, Frank is, is a legend in that he played rugby and he played GEA at a time when the band was prevalent. Yes. And he got away with it. And you know how he got away with it? Because he two names. You see... <laughs> He was known as, you know, say Francis X uh, Lynch in the in the rugby the schools rugby. Uh, and Tony O'Reilly trained him. Allegedly, Tony O'Reilly trained him. Would you believe in in Dundalk? Yeah, and they did very well. Um, but his nickname, you see, was Lolly. He seemingly he had a love of ice cream when he was a little gossip, as they say. And his nickname was Lolly. But the GA reporters thought his name was Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> so. For, for all intents and purposes, he was too, he was Frank Lynch and he was Ollie Lynch. <laughs> but now, the but the Leeds brothers had the same problem. They were they were you know on thin ice they, soccer and GAA. They were absolutely crucified by the GAA. Every time they went to play GAA, there was somebody the night before the Loud County Board representative from down said, "Listen, you can't play tomorrow. There's a complaint in against you." And suddenly. Mickey get six months, or uh, was it Liam was 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 the was the guy who played longest? I think. Yeah. Well, Liam was the quintessential yeah. GA player, one of the most wonderful players in loud football history, and uh, what a graceful player he was. And he was part, just to say this, like himself. Uh, you know, he was part himself and Paddy or Pudgy, as he was known, were part yeah. of that Newtown Blue side that virtually won every championship in loud during the sixties. Yeah, and like the, the Leach brothers also have so many claims to fame about captaining the teams, their brothers captaining the teams. I mean, as I said to you, look, this was a labour of love. But when I called into County Loud, mm. it was a particular labour of love. And can I just can I just talk now? I know it's this straddles the Loud Mead border, but your producer, Louise Walsh, did an absolutely brilliant story. And I've held it back for the next... Cause there, there was so much come in, Jerry, that I yeah. said to myself, we're going to have to have two volumes here. And I said, I don't want the second volume to be just, ah, uh, like that was, that was very limp in comparison to the first. And <clears throat> if I can be unmodest and say, I've held my own story to the second edition because there were some great stories. I said, look, the thing I do is I get a couple in from every county, from Mead, from Louth, from everywhere. And if there's more than that, I'll hold them back for yeah. the next edition. So, now, Louise has a brilliant story. Her father, is, as you possibly remember, was a, a referee, but he was also a very well-known jeweller and had great watches. They were known for the watches and that and things like that. And it, it, I won't spoil the story, but the story, and she wrote it magnificently, uh, revolves around 
he had a watch on his on his wrist, but it wasn't working. And he had a critic down the road who used to come into him every Monday morning and give out, ah, you played two minutes too much or two minutes too late, too little. And he had to he had all these thoughts in his in his in his head as he was looking at his watch that it got broken in the course of the game. And there's a good. She writes it very well. There's a great conclusion to it. Anyway, I don't. Want to don't give it. it all away. I know. No, I've heard the story myself, and it is fascinating. Yeah. And it will be in volume two. Are you assuring us of that now? I have. It's one of the first ones. Ah, I rang the week. I've told all the. See, there's so many big names, and in, in, I'm not saying I am, but there's a, a lot of really good stories that I held back because I want this. When people read the two volumes, they can say it was a case of first among equals. It wasn't a case yes, that the yes. first one had all the loads. I know what you're saying. The on. But, you know, getting on to Mead, yep. uh, Jerry. Oh, well, just you before know, you get on to Mead, I'm going to stop you. I just want to say one thing. This is an interesting point for, for listeners today. Just f- finishing up with the Leach brothers. Yes. As you said, Joey and Mickey played for the O'Rahillies, who really uh, became a sty in the eye for the New Ten Blues because they broke the run of championship wins with that win in 65. The O'Rahillies won it. You know what I mean? So that's, uh, right. that's that, that was a, that real historic win for, for the O'Rahillies club there. But look, at moving to Mead. Well, sh- listen, Sean Boylan, he has to be there, is he? Sean Boylan is there and just listen to me and the amount of people who rang me and said things like oh listen will you write a story about my grandfather he won 25 medals or he was such a chairman for 30 years or he had so many all-stars or whatever and I say no that's not the type of book this is so I give people an idea we all know what Sean Boylan did for me we all know what he did for hurling first of all and me and then for football we know Mm. the All-Ireland he won the Leinster's the league wasn't a bit interested in any of them. And what was I interested in? It was Sean telling me a story that something that happened, as he said himself, after the 27 seconds of madness in 1996, when you remember the row that broke out in the All-Ireland final after Mead and Mayo were playing. Yeah. Uh, and like even, even the row wasn't of interest to me because all that is documented, Jerry. And anyone who's big names winning All-Ireland that's all done in a book or a mm. county board book or a, a centenary book or something like that. And that's why the stories. But Sean's story was brilliant in that it was just a casual story about, uh, as you say, he said, I wanted to get away from the madness that everyone was ringing me up at the house to were pulling up outside, you know, about what do you think of the row? What do you, and as he said to himself, it was, it was less than half a minute. And he said to Tina, look, let's get away from here. And she said, we go down the country for a drive for the evening and just get a no Sean said look if I go down to Mullingar I'd be on top of me if I go down to Athlone if I go to Galway you know we go he said we go to Dublin and she said but you're not no he says we'll go to Holt or somewhere and we'll just have a, a meal or we'll just walk the, the head there it's just something for an hour to get away from it all and who does he pulls in in Holt and who pulls in right beside him then a legendary Dublin figure Lar Foley now <laughs> You remember him, Jerry. Yeah, I remember yeah. him. Or maybe younger generation. Lara Foley was the quintessential countryman from Dublin. Mm. He had no. He had more in common with somebody up a hill in uh, Cooley than he had in somebody around O'Connell Street. He was no more a city slicker than the man in the moon was. If you know what I mean? And what he Lara like was also a teak tough fullback. You know, no he quarter was. asked, no quarter mm. given, and. Himself and Boyle and, and the missus are chatting for about an hour. And then, more let's get on. What are you up here for? Uh, uh, Lara says to Sean. I said, well, to tell you the truth, 
our heads are done in. We said we get away from it all. For what? Says Larry, you know. He said, aye, that road have went on. And of course, Larry said, ah, for Jesus' sake, he said, I often saw more Jocelyn going to last mass and Holy Communion. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, that's the story in essence. I love and, it. I love yeah. it. I love it. And just to get on in me before time beats, is Bernard Flynn's in there? Ah, uh, but look, I, I want to say this. One of the greatest GA people, and not only for football, but my God, there are very few forwards ever better than Bernard Flynn, in my opinion. Um, but one of the best people ever, and the amount of work that man has done for people in trouble, and I know myself, he was very supportive to me when the Sunday Tribune closed and all that sort of stuff. I have not only the height of admiration for him, but Bernard is, above all, a funny guy, and sometimes he doesn't realise how funny he is. He was telling me the story when his first child, a daughter, was born in Mullingar Hospital, that Madeline had the kid and he was up in the bed and everything. And the next thing, then a couple of the boys called and said, we'll go and we'll wet the child's head, as I say, down the country, you know, yeah. go for a few. So four o'clock in the morning, they're still drinking. And Bernard is getting a bit maudlin at this day. He says, I want to go up and tell me wife and child I love them. You see, so obviously hospitals are closed up at that night, but he found a back way to break into the hospital, Right. But then he got up to where the bed was and he just said, Madeline, it's great. I love you. Put his arm around. But Madeline had been moved uh, in, in the interim and there was somebody else there who screamed. You know? <laughs> the next thing, the lights are on, the alarms are on, you know, everything is Dino, Nino. So anyway, he beats it out. He beats it out uh, to see who it is. But he gets out the back way. He's two lads wet in the backside like the Keystone cops. The engine is revving and it goes. But he's now sober as a judge. He wasn't driving. Somebody else was driving, by the yeah. way, in case anyone rings in. But <laughs> he's now sober as a judge the next morning. And he uh, he lives quite near. So he walks up to where they are and he says, Jeez, I better apologise to these people. So he goes in and he gets a clap from all, all the nurses and things. He's been the talk of the wards all night. Did you hear what happened, Bernard Flynn? <laughs> but there's, a, there's another story then that goes on. I, w- I don't want to ruin that. Little no, 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 no. You don't say any more. they got to get the book and, uh, and read on and hear more about Bernard Flynn, but that is just simply brilliant. And that's just, you know, a couple of stories from our bailiwick yeah, here in Louthan Mead. You know, there's so many was, more. Just to give a mention quickly, Jerry, there was a great story from Michael O'Brien about the two ratties and that has to be seen to be in the context of the 1920s where they were trying, the Mead County Board were trying to persuade the Leinster Council that the 47-year-old um, Ratty was playing for the senior team while the 23-year-old Ratty was playing for, for the junior team, you know, when it came to suspensions and things like that. Yes. Didn't go too far. And then there's a Dunboy native, Kieran Mackin, who went to Australia for years, is a Meadman, obviously, and wrote a lovely story about how the Aussie rules and how he witnessed a game where seemingly next door there was a soccer match between Croatia and Serbian teams and there was dozens of police sent that thought there was going to be a row, but nothing happened there, but there was a hurling match next door and there was the, the, the ash was flying, shall we say, and the, the police were properly deployed, but not to the right match. In Croatia, oh my God. <laughs> 
<laughs> Isn't that fantastic? Look, at they go on and on. But just to tell our listeners today, uh, the book is available. What a great gift this would be for somebody at this time of year. It's fascinating. You'll just laugh as we have been for the last while at all the stories. You'll enjoy them uh, thoroughly. Stories from the GAA grassroots, from the GAA grassroots. And it's available right across the country. And just before you go, volume two is on the way. Anyone listening today is a story you wouldn't mind hearing from them. Well, thank you very much. As you say, like the Grassroots uh, Volume 1 is out. The Grassroots, yes. I have about 85 stories. Would you believe in the last week I got five more stories Great. in already? So people need loud. If you have any stories of the ill come after giving you, um, the ones that will make you laugh, make you cry, you know, ones that are not. Uh, he won in 1991, he won his seven yes. All Ireland. Yes. We don't want that because it's yes. done. We want the stories from the heart of the GEA about the the bit of roguery that might go on where a player shouldn't have been playing for a team, got to play for a team, or where something peculiar happens, as I was explaining there in some of the cases with Leaf Brothers or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jerry. yeah. yeah. So, and, and you can get them... Louise is going to be headlining the next, <laughs> the next one. Well, we, we, we wait with bated breath. So if you have stories, pj at gaastories.ie. You can email them, pj at gaastories.ie. It's brilliant. Congratulations to you. See you for volume two. Thanks, Jerry, your star. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's the wonderful PJ Cunningham there. What a book it is. In the summertime In the summertime Yeah, the kinks on late lunch this Thursday afternoon. Sunny afternoon, summertime. The kinks would be ran, wouldn't they, Louise, if they said, Big Fat Mama? That song wouldn't get out today, would it? The words of that song. It's body shaming, isn't it, Jerry? <laughs> I just I don't know what to say. Unless she was happy I'm, in her I, own body. I, I, yes, I'm lost for words. That'll be the next thing that'll be banned now. They'll be after the kinks. Big fat mama. So they will. Be after you. <laughs> <laughs> bring it on. Bring it on, <laughs> baby. Bring it on. Oh my God, I just see a story uh, breaking there. Um, Two women have just lost high court uh, claims for damages over injuries they suffered getting out of a swing at a Tipperary playground. The judge threw out the cases. Is that not like kind of a throwback on, wasn't there a TD or something, that swing gate? Yes, there was. Maria, somebody, she had to resign, didn't she? Mm-hmm. She was gone, got the... But anyway, these two women uh, from Tipperary uh, had the case, high court cases, kicked out by the judge. Mr Justice Michael Toomey found there was no negligence or breach of duty by Tipperary County Council. And he expressed real concern about the chilling effect of such litigation on the provision of play facilities for children and the freedoms of all citizens. Judge, I salute you this afternoon. I really do. Why would they claim? Why did they fell off the swing and claimed it wasn't safe enough or something? Well, they obviously claimed something and they went to the bloody high court. Well, the tail between their legs now and they're on their way. We've spoken about it here over the years with local we entertainment have Linda, providers. Yeah, Linda Murray in the zone had yes, a, who, was trying know, to fight insurance for absolutely. years. Absolutely. They they, the premiums have gone through the roof. I say it again. If you are genuinely injured through no fault of your own and there is negligence, you are fully deserving of compensation. There's no doubt about that, Louise. I would never take that away. That is there. 
but people who try it on and you know are known there are people who have more claims and more claims and uh, you know the linkages between the different claims those type of people my god I've no time for them to be honest with you and the damage they cause as the judge said there to those people trying to provide leisure mm-hmm. and lovely leisure facilities for all of us is horrific it really is anyway just uh, spotted that no new story soon. which there'll be no playground yeah well that's, that's that's what you're facing that is what you're facing there's no doubt about it anyway after the break folks we're going to hear from a mammy who had a knock on her door and these people were looking for money why were they looking for money because one of her children was involved with drugs and she knew nothing about it. We were talking about the kinks and Big Fat Mama. Anne says, I think they're saying Big Fat Mammoth, Jerry, not Mama. Oh, God, God, I'll have to listen back to it again carefully. Louise tells me that what they're talking about, whether it's Big Fat Mama or Mammoth, it's about, actually, that's the UK government that they're, they're, they're uh, talking about there in the song. Somebody else says, well, Queen would be out the window as well, Jerry, with fat bottom girls, wouldn't they? <laughs> Where would it begin or end, she's you? Anyway, we move on on late lunch this afternoon. If you are in a situation uh, trying to deal with a drug situation in your home or family or whatever, you may have heard of, and you will have heard of, the Family Addiction Support Network. They do wonderful work and we're going to talk about drug addiction and the support given by the network for the next while on the show because I'm joined by Jackie McKenna. She's a project coordinator with the Family Addiction Support Network and Emer is a mum of a child who was involved or involved in the uh, the drug scene. Welcome to the show, ladies. Emer, if I could start with yourself. Um, I've been mentioning this earlier today in the promo for the show and that true to say that you knew nothing until a knock came to your door. No, Jerry, that's exactly the way it happened. Um, someone came knocking on my door and, you know, it was kind of fairly late in the evening, so you weren't expecting anyone. So I just thought it was someone, you know, local. And then you have people at the door that, uh, you know, they're frightening me, they're intimidating me and saying that uh, my son owed them money for a drug debt. Well, I was absolutely shocked because I never thought for a moment that this was going on. Imagine that scenario out of the blue. That's, you must have been sick to the pit of your stomach. Absolutely terrified. I didn't know where to start or what to think about. It was absolutely dreadful, such a feeling about your own it's terrible. And and they demanded with menace. They threatened you. They said that if they weren't paid, there'd be consequences. Well, I did say, well, I don't have that kind of money. You know, it was in the hundreds at the time. And they said, well, I don't care where you get it. We'll be back. We want us, uh, you know, or else. Absolutely terrifying intimidation from them. And and just your child for a moment. Of course, when, when, when they go away and the door closes, you have to take the issue up with him at that stage. What what was that like when, when you confronted him? I confronted him and he, he did admit, yeah, that he had a death. And, you know, of course, there's every excuse under the sun about how they got there, you know. And because this is, you know, it was new to me. I had no idea about this. I, I'd never been involved with anyone with drugs or addiction before. So I really didn't know where to start. So in the beginning, I was kind of, you know, you nearly tell anyone who would listen because you're just so distressed about this. And and it wasn't until someone did put me in the way of the Family Addiction Support Network that I got some kind of help because otherwise I really didn't know where to turn. And your son was a user? He was. He was using drugs as well. So, you know, buying them is getting the money to buy them and then if they owe the money, 
you know, so it, it, someone has to pay it. And, and you know, I don't mean to pry too much, but you never suspected, you didn't think there was anything up, you never saw him out of kilter, or were you worried about him before this? No, I wasn't. You know, I really didn't see any signs. And sometimes now I said, you know, was I naive or whatever, you know, that I didn't see the signs. Looking back now, they probably were there. I just wasn't looking enough, you know. And I suppose it goes back to, you know, who are they with? Where are they going? What are they doing? You know, do they have any new things? Do they have lots more money? You know, it's a lot of things that I would look out for now that I know it, but Mm. I wasn't that knowledgeable in the beginning. Did they come back? Of course they did. They came back in a lovely shiny car and saying, you know, I want this money or else, you know, they'll be banging your door down. They will set fire to my car. You know, and a lot of intimidation, horrendous stuff. So all these threats I took very, very seriously because I was so frightened. Did you pay them? I did, Jerry. I did pay them because I wanted to, I wanted to save my son. Well, I thought I could save my son by paying it but really in hindsight I'm looking back saying I was really giving them the okay to go and do it again you know but it was terror that really made me pay it and was that the end of it when you paid that debt had you had did they revisit you in the future or had you to deal with any other situations yeah that was I thought that was the end of it and it wasn't really because you know he kept on doing what he was doing he kept getting entangled in trade and the debt grew deeper so we did have to pay up again and it came to that we paid thousands. I think we must have paid four or five thousand euros. And uh, this is just, I'm getting to a stage that I can't afford this anymore and I can't, you know, do it. And no matter how much we ask them to stop doing it to get help, it doesn't stop. So I, I just had to do something and then someone gave me the number of FASN and that was the beginning of my journey, my recovery. And you're beyond this now? I am, thankfully. I'm I'm really beyond that. And what about your son? Well, he is. He's not using now, but it still takes a while for, you know, when they do decide to get help, which that takes a long, long time. Um, they will get help to come off it and to really go back into society again and start living a normal life. Because the life you live, you know, when someone is using drugs, is not a normal life. There's a lot of ducking and diving and hiding and lying intimidation, all that kind of thing, threats. You know, and even from him, he be, he did become aggressive when he couldn't pay these things because he was as frightened as I was. Tough love I've heard in the context of this before and you've just sort of touched on it there a while ago. By paying this, you were actually facilitating him continuing down this road. I was, but as I said, I did a terror. I wanted to save my son and I didn't know any other way. So I said, you know, maybe I'll pay it and, you know, this might come to an end. But it didn't. It didn't come to an end. I had gave him cash before and it didn't come to an end. So I knew I wasn't helping this in any way. So I needed help of my own to find out how to figure this out. And did it reach a point where you had to say no? It did. And it's a small word, Jerry. but I'll tell you, it's so hard to say no. It really is. Because you're looking at a child, someone you love, and it doesn't matter what age they are, they're still your child and you still love them. And you kind of say, you know, that child that you raised well is in there somewhere. He's just immersed in addiction. You know, and I know he's there somewhere. But, you know, you kind of go that, you know, your private life is out there, your family life is out there. And, you know, it's, that's the bit is awful. There's a, a lot of shame attached to that. And, and I do something wrong. Yeah. And, you know, you are a fine family and you've reared them well. And then this darkens your door. And I've heard this from others as well. You would never expect that it would happen. Do you ever, you know, or did you ever say to him, how did he go down this road? Is it is it the wrong people he got involved with? 
it could be, uh, you know, the wrong people. But, you know, we look at other people and say, you know, how does anyone get into it? And I think even with addiction, there has to be some kind of trauma behind someone that they're looking for someone else that, or something else out there to heal their wounds, whatever they might be. And I know sometimes now that you say, well, it's not. Everyone thinks that a person involved in drugs is a person lying on the street, you know, out of their mind. But that's not it at all. There's an awful lot of functioning people uh, that are really involved in drugs and family that they keep doing it. So it's, it's become so acceptable in society, but it really isn't acceptable in family life today with all the consequences that it brings. It's definitely not. What did the Family Addiction Support Network do for you? What did it bring to the equation that helped you, you know, recover and helped him as well? If you were to sum it up in a few words, what would you say? I would say they saved me my life really with the support, the confidentiality, the no judgment and everyone there, all the facilitators that are so qualified there, it's peer support. So they knew what I was going through because they had been there themselves. They taught me how how to put boundaries in, how to make the rest of my family important as well because they were always kind of getting left to the side, you know. So they really taught me how to, they gave me strength, absolute strength. You're fantastic. I, I mean this, I'm stuck to the to the chair here, uh, listening to you. I really am, and I'm sure everybody listening today is. We've been listening to Emer tell her story about her son and his uh, drug problem and that knock that came to her door. She knew nothing about it until this happened and money was demanded with menace. Uh, patiently listening to that story, and I'm, I know she's very familiar with it, is Jackie McKenna, who's project coordinator with the Family Addiction Support Network. Jackie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jerry, and hi, Emer, and very well done. Hi, Jackie. Yep. Oh, so, so well done, I have to say. What uh, a woman you have there, Tell, told that story absolutely unbelievably, and it is an example of, you know, for people listening today, Jackie, who are in the middle of this horrific situation. Yeah, absolutely, and it's wonderful to see and to hear uh, people like Emer who, when they come in, that are broken and helpless and paralysed with fear and not knowing how to help their loved one for the best. And um, absolutely brilliant to see them um, when they're uh, having some understanding of addiction and addictive behaviour and learning that uh, they can't control a loved one's addictive behaviour and that they didn't cause it and that they can't cure it. But what they can cope with and is their own lives and how they respond to it and in coping begin to take back control of their own life because most of the time we uh, try to fix the person that's um, caught up in addiction and lose lose uh, sight of ourselves and uh, uh, family members who are affected by the impact of someone else's addictive behaviour often feel uh, so afraid, confused, isolated, angry, and completely exhausted. And that's why we need to uh, provide a range of services, like uh, what, what Ema spoke about, weekly family support groups, one-to-one support, counselling, uh, five-step brief interventions. And we also have, which is becoming more and more uh, common these days, is the confidential drug-related intimidation reporting service, where families are being uh, intimidated by drug gangs for money and this in itself um, uh, puts out a wide range of harms on people. Uh, The 
Family Addiction Support Network launched the first ever research report on the needs of families living with substance misuse um, in the northeast area back in May of 2019. And it was only when I actually saw it written in black and white in front of me that I thought, my God, how would, how does any of us um, cope with the reality of living with addiction? Because... Um, when you consider the harms that they're exposed to, like worry and psychological stress that can lead to physical and mental ill health, uh, exposure to threats and violence associated with drug deaths that uh, um, Emer spoke about, financial burden of supporting the drug user, either directly or indirectly, um, strain on family relationships between the drug user, between siblings, mm. um, between... Uh, partners or um, uh, spouses. Yeah, so you what know, you're basically saying to me, what yeah. you're saying to me is, the, the, your strapline says it all, support the family, change the outcome. Yeah. Because, as you say, dealing with the individual themselves is one aspect of this, but this is a holistic thing involving yeah. so many people who live under the one roof and extended absolutely. family as well. Yes, absolutely. And you know what? Drugs are not going away. Uh, we are now living in what is now the normal drug culture. So every one of us is wearing families in what is now the normal drug culture. And uh, it makes sense for the government to invest in measures to help protect the health and well-being of our communities. And families are at the core of every community. And it's not just in a particular area. It's right across the whole country of Ireland. I am familiar with this on a personal basis as well. I've... uh listen to a particular story as well, close enough to me, similar to what we heard there from Emer as well, and people, very decent people who did their best, and this has darkened their doors, and they don't understand why, and like Emer, they've had to pay, and they've had attacks on the home as well, and it's just a horrendous situation to be in. So just now, while you're with me there, if there's anybody listening today who's affected or in any type of similar scenario to this with drugs, how what's the easiest way to get in touch with you people the experts Jackie um, well you can contact us on uh, our office line which is 0429355251 um, we're there uh, three days a week three days a week so if we're if we don't pick up the phone please leave a message and we will get back to you you can email us at info dot fossum at gmail dot com or uh, for most people we have an out, an out of hours telephone helpline number uh, for most families <laughs> it all kicks off after five o'clock on a Friday evening mm. and then you cannot get a service anywhere until after the weekend so if you can um, imagine yourself in the situation where a young people is a young person is having a psychotic episode uh, over the eight, over the weekend and maybe ends up in A&E and the family is called in and there's nobody to talk to, maybe somebody is suicidal, maybe the family member themselves is suicidal, maybe they've been threatened. So to have an out-of-hours telephone helpline is absolutely magnificent. So the um, helpline number, the out-of-hours one, is 087-904-6405. 
Yes, and those numbers we'll have off our main number here straight after this conversation. If anybody wants to ring in anonymously, we'll pass on those numbers to you for sure. You have a 5K family run in Dundalk this Sunday, the 17th of October at 12 o'clock. Where does it start from? We certainly have. Um, it starts from uh, at the Friary Church. It starts and finishes at the Friary Church. Okay. the Friary Church and the Garda Station. And you can still register online with myrun.com or even on the day, right up to before the race itself. Okay, so that's there and it's uh, providing great support for this network as well. Check out their website, fasn.ie. There's more information there, but if you can go on Sunday, it'd be fantastic and raise a few pounds. It's badly needed. Just before we leave this, I want to go back to Emer for a second. Emer, we have half a minute and you've been fantastic to come on here today and tell your story. Just for people listening today who are despairing and are in the middle of this, a few words. What would you say to finish up? You can't do it on your own. You need help. Take it. These know what they're talking about. Everyone involved with FASN has experienced it, so they know what they're talking about. So reach out. Reach out for the help. It's there. It is there, and that is the very important message today. Emer. I thank you sincerely for coming on today. And Jackie, I wish you well with the 5K at the weekend and all the wonderful work you do. Thank you, ladies, for joining me. Thank you so much, Jerry. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wonderful, wonderful women and a serious, serious subject affecting so many people right across the North East and beyond. Lovely to hear from you, Cecilia, this afternoon. She says she's in my club. What next is right? Possibly every classic ever written, bar none, will be bad. Bond movies and the list goes on. God give me patience, says Miss Quine this afternoon. <laughs> I feel your frustration. But you know, they're ringing in and saying, I- I- I've got it wrong. You know, the wrong lyrics. We've often laughed and had fun with this before. It's a big fat mammoth, they say. It is mammoth is the word that we're talking about. It sounds like mammoth, doesn't it? It does sound like that, I have to say. And as Errol Louise clarified, it is a bit about the UK government, mama or mammoth or whatever you like to call it. Seriously, earlier on, wasn't she just unbelievable, Emer? Speaking about her child becoming involved with drugs. Listen to this. I'm loving the show, Jerry. Can relate to Emer, as I have been to Family Support Addiction Network Group with a family member myself. It's heartbreaking what families go through. It's really like a tornado going through a loving home. What a description that is. Uh, never ever did I think it would come to my house. Mm. Indeed. And many homes in uh Affected also by drugs, the scourge of drugs. John says, Jerry, you just have to take a look at Fair City at the moment and you'll realise uh, what is actually going on. Thank you, John. Kevin's been on to say, Jerry, I had to sell my farm as my brother was dealing drugs. Got very little help, but it was in the best interest of my family and children. I sold up. Isn't that incredible, isn't it, to think? Oh, it's a blight. It really is on the landscape. That is for sure. We move on on the show today, round about this time. As you know, all year I've been doing this. I'll get to the end of the year. Oh, no bother with my Artist of the Week. And it being Irish Music Month, I'm focusing on Irish artists this month. And it's back to horse lips again today. 
I did mention that the prospect of them getting back together gained momentum in 2004 in Drogheda and in December of the following year, 2005, they played to an invited audience in Dingle, which was recorded for that wonderful RT series, Other Voices. Oh, it was terrific, wasn't it? It really was. In 2006, there was a tribute show to Horslip themselves, during which, again, they performed and it went out live, that show on TG Car. It would be three more years, however, before they confirmed they would reunite for two major concerts in Belfast and Dublin. And again, McHugh's venue in Drogheda was where they prepared with two warm-up gigs in November ahead of those December shows. I was at those warm-up gigs, one of them in Drogheda. Oh, it was something else, it really was. Now, there was a change in the lineup. Uh, Ray Fien took over the percussion, the drums. Uh, Eamon Carr didn't take part in uh, the reunion of the band and Ray went with them then on drums. 2010 saw the boys do a four-gig tour of Ireland. In 2011, they played and recorded with the Ulster Orchestra in Belfast. Oh, it's brilliant stuff, that I have to say. And then in 2012... They headlined the Rory Gallagher Festival in Donegal and played the National Concert Hall with the RTE Concert Orchestra. Truly uh, amazing show as well. 2014 would almost be their last hurrah until five years later in 2019 when they played for the final time, local link again, at the Seamus Ennis Centre in the Knoll. And that will go down as the very last of horse lips because... Horse lips will be no more, I believe. Today, here's the title track from their 1978 album of the same name. My artist of the week, Horse Lips. See him driving those golden nails that hold together the silver bars. Then won't it gonna take us to the stars? Cause he's the man who built a mill. They say, great minds think alike. And that's Louise and myself, because she's just after saying to me there on the headset, you wouldn't have heard it. And they're singing about Trump, and I was just going to say the same thing. The man who built America. Oh, in the name of God, he's thinking of running again. Stop the lights. Really, are people that... Are they that gullible that they'd put that man back in the White House in the name of God? Anyway, that's horse lips on the man who built America and it wasn't Trump, I can tell you. That's for sure. Anyway, we move on on the show. Final break of the afternoon and after the break, we're joined by Mammy Michelle from Dundalk. Michael was on to say he'd like to compliment Jackie and all at Family Addiction Support Network. They do a fantastic job and it's really a disgrace that they don't get the support they deserve. Keep up the amazing work and best of luck. That comes in from Michael. Thank you, Michael, this afternoon. Now, it's been a theme of late lunch this week. We began at the start of the week with Kathleen Black and Ailish Matthews telling us about uh, having babies in their 40s. Mary Murphy joined us uh, towards midweek uh, in her 80s now. 14 children, 26 years between the first and last. Incredible story. And Michelle from Dundalk got in touch with us to say, God Almighty, I so enjoyed listening to Mary. And we called her back, or Louise did, and said, would you have a word with Michelle? Because she's a woman who had a baby in her 40s as well. And she's on the line. Hello, Michelle. Hiya, Jerry. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Not at all. I was just looking at your scenario. You nearly beat Mary Murphy. 25 years, am I right, between your first and last? Yeah, I had the first one at 16 and the last one at 41. Wow. And you had, I'm just looking, your children in your teens, 20s, 30s and 40s. 
I did, yeah. <laughs> now, tell me this, because I've, I've, I mentioned this to the other girls as well. Did it get tougher? Were you tired? Was it more difficult as you moved on into the 40s? It was. It was. Uh, the first three was in my 20s and it was a lot easier. But then one of 35 and one of 41 was really harder, yeah. I have to say, yeah. Mm, and uh, you're just moving on through life and, and, and of course uh, we all find it as, as the years clock up at 16 God you were young with the first weren't you? I wasn't aid I wasn't aid and uh, between the five of them boys, girls what's the breakdown? Uh, the first was a boy he's 30 and I have four girls Oh my God so you got the boy uh, first and then the ladies all followed on do they spoil him? do they look up to him? do they adore him? Oh, indeed they do. Indeed they do. <laughs> and, you know, like five children is a fair family, I have to say. And when you have one at 16, was he, you know, on his way to uh, uh, his own life and, and things when your last was born? He was, he was. He was getting normal things and then all of a sudden then he couldn't believe them when I said at 35, <laughs> you're going to have another brother or sister, you know. <laughs> What did he? What was his reaction? Because Kathleen Black told us earlier in the week her eighteen-year-old daughter nearly wouldn't talk to her. She was talking about leaving home. And then there was at one stage. Then I was actually pregnant. Then my oldest daughter at the same time. <laughs> oh, so the so the the, the uh, girl you had at nineteen was pregnant when you were pregnant at forty-one. Yeah. <laughs> and what? Well, and tell us this: Who had the first baby? You or her? She did. She had the first one, and then you. Uh, so, yeah, so, so you, you. I'm just thinking again. You were, you were a granny first, and then became a mammy again. Yeah. <laughs> and and how do they? You know, how do they get on? They're very close in age. Oh, very, very close. Yeah, they just look up. Each other is all we brothers and sisters. Yes, yes, and obviously in your family and home, you have a great love of children. Oh yeah, they just come and go, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love the laid-back a- attitude. I have to say, but uh, you know what I've got to ask, Mary? Well, I suppose that you, you had five on the go, and at different times as well. There's a yeah. lot of uh, clothes to be washed, food to be prepared. You know all this type of stuff. You just took it in your stride, did you? <laughs> that's it. What else can you do? <laughs> <laughs> and did you did you work, or were you a homemaker? Was were you at home for for them all? I was at home most of the time, but I did walk. I was a waitress at one stage, and I was working in the clothes shop, and I went to walk, but then I just... Opposite, yeah, it? yeah, yeah. So you you combine the was work outside the home as well as the home as well. Should you? So we all have to do extra things to make ends meet, don't we? So listen, all hail and hearty. So how many grandchildren have you now? I four. Four of them. Okay, great. So four, five of your own and four grandchildren now and all doing well. Well, listen, uh, Michelle, thanks so much for calling in. Nice to catch up with you. And uh, well done through the decades from teens, 20s, 30s and into 40s. Congratulations to you. Thank you, Jerry. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Nice to talk to you there. And uh, Michelle, listening to Mary Murphy there during the week. So 40s, there you are. More women in the 40s. What did I say the other day? I think it's about 7% of the population uh, are having babies in the 40s now. And... uh, you know, it's quite a number of people in co- in the context of all the babies that come into this world here in Ireland during a year. Anyway, that's our lot on late lunch for this Thursday afternoon. Thank you so much for your company on the show. Remember, if you have
have a guest or a story or anything to say to us, you can always get in touch with us out of ours. Our email address is latelunch at lmfm.ie. That's latelunch at lmfm.ie. And give us a shout at any stage. We're always open to talking to you. Uh, so you listen enough to us anyway, don't you, every single day. And we appreciate it, I have to say. Anyway, on Friday's Late Lunch, Alan Bailey is joining me again. Spoke to him a number of years ago, and it's in the context of the renewed search for the disappeared women. This man is a real good one when it comes to this. He'll uh, talk to us tomorrow on the show. Ashling Connolly believes customer service levels leave a lot to be desired. She's with us. Brian Gregory's hale and hearty at 83 years young with us on the show tomorrow. David Sheehan looks ahead to the weekend in sport. And of course, oh, I got you last week. I'll have to dig out another old riddle to fox you tomorrow on the show. I will, I promise I will. Anyway, join us Friday from 1.30. Eddie Caffrey's raring to go next with the drive here on LMFM Radio. Great music and more besides. Do come back and join us for the final late lunch of the week on Friday from 1.30. Take care of yourselves. Have a lovely evening. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Drada Dundalk and Cavan. Let Blackstone Motors find the perfect car for you. With over 300 cars to choose from, we have the biggest selection of pre-owned cars in Drada Dundalk and Cavan. Low APR and zero deposit packages available. See blackstonemotors.ie for more details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.